Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter, but not at once. I'm going to try to break it up and uh, highlight some of the important points for us. And I wanted to start off as we're talking about this kingdom lifestyle I'm just wondering how many of us in this room, and you got to be honest now, how many of you like truffles? Not the chocolate, but the truffle, the, the fungus. C- can I see your hand? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, wow. Good handful of you. Well, let me just say I'm not much of a fan. Uh, it kind of has this earthy kind of taste to it, but it's not bad when it's with certain foods, so that part I will admit. But in the last 10 years, I would say this truffle uh, mania has exploded like crazy. In fact, it is so expensive to get truffles, the good ones, that it can literally go for about 3,600 USD just for a pound of truffles. And that comes out to about $28,000 Hong Kong D just for a pound of truffles. And you put it in fries, you put it in pasta, you put it in meat, and depending on the chef and how they cook it, uh, it actually adds some flavor to that dish. And so what I wanted to do was just to kind of show you a video about how, why truffles are so expensive. And so as you watch it, some of you guys already know why, because the way they harvest it and the way they obtain it, And as some of you might not know, that it's only a certain period of time, the good ones, that the flavor starts dropping rapidly. The quality of it starts uh, dropping rapidly, probably within the first seven days if you don't eat it. And that's why it is so expensive. As soon as you harvest it, you got to sell it, and then you got to then eat it right on the table. So let's watch this video together. All right. Now you know why truffles are so expensive. Some of you are a little bit on the nerdy side. You are very excited uh, about the chemicals and the oils and different things like that. But just think about this for a moment. With all the facts that you have just witnessed there on this video, it would not be expensive if there was a large mass of it, if in terms of the quality of it wasn't that great, and there wasn't such a high demand. And so those of you who know economics, it's about supply and demand. And that's why, and because the harvesting, as you just saw, of trying to cultivate it, it is such a difficult process that that's why it is so expensive. Now, some of you might be wondering, why is Pastor Seth sharing about truffles? Because I'm trying to secretly have you eat truffles something this afternoon. I'm just kidding. I'm not, all right? But I want you to think about this for a moment and see if there's any parallels to the Christian faith. If Christianity was so easy, I think everyone would be a Christian. I think that if Christianity was something that we see it as a benefit and it's all about us, I think many of us will not struggle as much trying to live for Christ, trying to be more Christ-like, if that was really easy, 
man, this world will be a better place. But as you know, Christianity, being a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not an easy thing. And not too many people are on this journey. It demands your life. It actually demands you to die to yourself in the sense of your own selfishness, your own self-centeredness. And no longer do you have control over your life, but you're giving that control over to God and say, God, you are the Lord of my life, and I give you my complete 100% allegiance to you. It's a hard life. And I'll say this up front. I think this is the reason why a lot of people, as they think about, should I be a Christian or should I not? Should I continue to follow it in this Christian way or should I not? Should I pursue after my own dreams and goals and my whatever I desire? Or should I pursue after the things of Christ? Like those things are real tensions that I think all of us at some point in our lives have either felt or you are going through it right now. That's why in many ways when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he used this precious pearl, this treasure that not everyone finds. And it's very expensive because it demands your life. And as I was thinking about this idea of, of, of truffle that's been so expensive, but so many people are willing to do anything possible to get it because they value the truffle, the taste or whatever, maybe it's the luxurious image that they could hold. Whatever the reason, my question and challenge for every single one of us this morning is following Jesus Christ, is it worth it? Is it worth following him, living this kingdom lifestyle that's completely and radically different from the world, the, what the world tells us how we ought to live? And that's why as we close out this Shine Sermon series today, I really want to focus in on what does it really mean to be fruitful? What does it mean to produce fruit in our lives? If you remember the whole Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, chapter 6, and we'll go over chapter 7 today, the whole idea is Jesus came into this world to r radically introduce this revolution that the way you used to live your life in your relationship with God, we've got it all wrong. And he says, you have once heard it said, but I tell you, truly, truly, I tell you. And he keeps on doing this teaching, and then he talks about relationships. He talks about just love. He talks about our prayers and fasting. He talks about all these things about this religious life, and he's saying that there is a better way. That Christianity and what he is offering is not another set of rules of do's and don'ts. But rather it really is abundant life that he promised unto us. Because Satan comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. But he says, I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. Not only that, but as some of us might be either confused or trying to look for purpose in life. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through me. So this is what he's teaching that is so radical, so different, 
revolutionary that those people who are weary and tired, when Jesus says, come unto me, all those who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, they flocked to him. And they were amazed at his teaching and the authority that he had as he was preaching the gospel message about the kingdom of God. They said, who is this man? We have never heard of such a thing. And that's why I think for us, we need to ask, is this the life that we want? With your one life that you have, because you're not going to get another one. This is your life. With the one life that you have, how are you going to live it? And it is my sincere prayer that every single one of us will live it in a way that is fruitful, that can make an impact, that can transform people around us and transform the world around us and in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, wherever you're uh, ministering in, that God will be able to put that in your heart. Let me first define fruitful. I think as we talk about this, the American Heritage Dictionary defines fruitful as this, producing fruit, especially in abundance. Also, it is defined as producing useful or desired results, being productive. Therefore, when you put the word fruitful in the Christian context, it can be used either in a literal sense, because you'll see that all throughout Scripture in reference to fruits, but what we see more often is the more metaphorical connection to this idea of fruit and fruitfulness and just even fruitful. And so today I want to close out the sermon series by talking about being fruitful as we remain prayerful. So here's the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that our transformed lives can be fruitful as we learn how to be prayerful. That our transformed lives can be fruitful as we learn how to be prayerful. I'm going to zero in on this passage and kind of break it up into two sections. There's two things to keep in mind about how our transformed lives can be fruitful as we learn how to be prayerful. The first thing that I want to mention is that we have to stay humble. We must stay humble before God. If you want your transformed life that was purchased by Jesus Christ through his life and his blood shed on the cross, if you want your life, the transformed life that he offers to us and he's still working on us, to be impactful and fruitful and making a difference. The posture that we need, not only in this prayerful mindset, is that we got to stay humble before God. Now, it's important to understand genuine humility is really an elusive thing. I think the more we try to be humble, the more proud we get of trying to be humble. Are you with me? That's why it's one thing you have to understand is it's not something that you get. It's not something that you try to obtain because it is a byproduct of something that's deeper. So it's not like you're trying to get humble, but it's more of getting something else, and the byproduct of that is humility. I think for many of us, we have this distorted view of humility because we look at only the external behaviors of people. And we think to ourselves, oh, they're so humble. But in reality, they're very proud. Let me give you an example, some things to think about here. You know, a lot of times you'll see people who are quiet. 
And like, oh, they're so humble. They're so quiet. You know, they don't like, you know, compared to those other people who are very boisterous and they're so loud. And it seems like everyone is drawing attention to them. They're so proud. I always say be careful because sometimes the loud ones are not the proud one, but it's a quiet one. Do you know why? They sin right in here. You idiot. Oh, you think you're so good, huh? I'm better than you. I mean, those are the things. So you cannot just look at the external things. There's some people who will be like, oh, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. Oh, no, don't tell me. Do you know why they say that? Because what happens when people say that? Let's say they're a great musician or they're great at something, and we always say, oh, that was so awesome. What, what does that person normally say? No, no, it's, I'm not. I'm not I'm and then what do we do? Come on, everyone, tell me, what, what do we do after that? No, you are. No. And we lift them up higher. Are, are you with me? So it's like, no, but what the translation is this. Can you do a little bit more? Yeah, just a little bit more. Like, I'm really good. So once again, you cannot look at the externals and say, wow, that person is a really humble person because that might not be the case in many ways, especially in Asia when you're supposed to be like, no, no. When it's like, yes, yes, more. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this anyway. <laughs> Listen to what Floyd McClung said in his book, Follow, a simple and profound call to live like Jesus. Listen to what he writes, quote, by trying to please people and live up to their expectations, we can easily fall into a false form of spirituality. We find ourselves praying, reading scripture, and worshiping, not from the heart, but from a secret motive to impress others. We become more interested in how we look to others and how we look to God. The more insecure we are, the more susceptible we become to the opinions of others. Humility frees us from this form of pride, allowing us to live to please the Lord, end quote. Did you get that? Whenever you meet a people pleaser, there's deep, something deep inside that they're just an insecure person. That's why many of you who struggle with people pleasing, pleasing your parents, pleasing your teacher, pleasing your life group leader, pleasing your pastor, pleasing whoever it is other than God, it's because what you so desire is affirmation and validation. But the problem is we get those things from whom? From God. But you want it from people. And so what it does is that it fuels that pride in your heart. That's why sometimes one of the most dangerous people groups are those religious people. Because they seem humble. They're reading the Bible. They're doing all this stuff, but really it's to impress others and it's really for them because out of their insecurity. So here, this is what I want us to kind of wrap our minds around. In order for us to be faithful in our walk with Christ, or excuse me, fruitful in our walk with Christ, we have to learn what it means to be humble. We got to stay humble. And humility is really knowing who we are in light of who God is. If you know who you are in light of who God says he is and who he is, this is where I believe that you're going to experience some deep transformation. So let me highlight a couple things as we talk about stay humble, how we must stay humble. First thing is this. You've got to look at the area of humility with our interactions with others. 
our interactions with others. Let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting from verse 1. And I'm going to go ahead and read it all the way through verse 6. So this is what the Word of God says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck of, out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Amazing. Because I hope you caught what Jesus, it just seems so irrelevant to everything he's been talking about. But there's a lot of connection. It's important to first state that Jesus, what he is not saying, listen to me carefully, because this is a famous passage a lot of people use and they misunderstand it. You got to know this. What Jesus is not saying is that we can never judge. He is not saying that. No, don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you have friends who go, well, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge, or you yourself will be judged. Come on now. You've, some of you have said that, and some of you have received that. But they are misunderstanding this passage. That's why I want to make sure that we're all clear on this. Not so that you can have more knowledge and go, you know, you misunderstood that passage. The extra Jesus is the passage really means. No, don't do that. But hopefully you will understand what Jesus is trying to say. The verb to judge means to distinguish or to decide. When you study this word. So when Jesus says do not judge, he's talking about do not distinguish or try not to decide. Because what he's simply saying is make the distinction of what is right and what is wrong according to God's standards. And he's saying this, and he's adding a little caveat, and he's saying, but you have to look at your life first. So that is what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that you can never judge anything or anyone. No, you should because you got to know what's right and what's wrong. you got to know what's from the Spirit of God and what's not. So judging in and of itself to distinguish and to decide is not a bad thing. What Jesus is trying to bring up here is that you're trying to distinguish because it comes out of this pride. That's what he's trying to address here. That's why in verse 3 and 5, Jesus gives this illustration about the speck in this brother's eye or this other person's eye. When we don't even notice the, the log that's in our eye, this piece of wood that's sticking out of our eye. That's why in verse 5, Jesus says what? You what? You hypocrite. Because you're judging, but you're not judging in humility because you're not looking at yourself first, but you're just looking at them. He says, first take out the log from your eye, and then you can help take out the speck in your brother's eye. And it says, when we are humble... That's when we're able to see, listen to me carefully, your own weaknesses and your own struggles and your faults first. 
you know, it, it was kind of, it's kind of interesting because, like, we always set ourselves up for failure. I, I realize that. And we don't even know that we do that, but we do that. I remember when I was younger in my faith, there were a lot of things I would be like, oh, my God, that's so bad. No, you shouldn't be doing that. And a lot of it was out of pride. It wasn't because I loved that person. It wasn't because I looked at myself. It was just I pretty much said, I, I wouldn't do that. You, you're doing this. This is wrong. And then guess what happens? I do it. I remember one time um, uh, I prided myself thinking, you know, with our leaders in our church that we're training them, we meet with them, and then I'm like, how in the world can we not have life group every single week? So any other church that didn't do that, I'd be like, look at them. And then all of a sudden, what happened was we not only had one kid, then we had two, then we had three. And trying to balance everything and then other things that had to go on, I realized now I know why they have life group maybe every other week. What I'm trying to say is this. There are a lot of things in our lives that we think to ourselves we will never do. Or that will not happen to us. So we judge people out of that pride by what happens. And this is the question I ask people. What do you do when you do the very thing that you judge someone else about? And you know what we normally do if we're still proud? We'll either hide, we won't confess it. And that's when we keep on going down that spiritual spiral in that deep abyss. That's why Jesus is saying, look at your interactions with others. Are you humble? Not putting yourselves above them, but being able to judge, but first judge yourself. And then from there, to help other people. That's the point. You're helping other people as you first look at your own life. In verse 6, the illustration about the dogs and the pigs was to remind people that while they should not judge others, that we have to know what's appropriate to give to those who will receive. Even that takes wisdom and humility. So I want you to think this with me. We've got to stay humble. And the way we're going to find that out is, are we being humble, is look at our interactions. And look at the second thing here. You've got to look at the intimacy, our intimacy with God. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7 through 12. Listen to what it says here. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him so whatever you wish that or that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets so here is jesus first talking about part of humility is the way you interact with people but also your intimacy with god because humility is a byproduct of knowing God, as I stated earlier. And it seems as if Jesus talks about praying again, even though, if you remember, he talked about it when? 
several weeks back. Well, not that he was here and then he spoke several weeks back, but you know what I'm talking about. I think Pastor Bo talked about that. So a couple weeks back in chapter 6, in verse 9 through 13, he talked about prayer. Why in the world is he interjecting prayer again in this section, in this latter portion of the Sermon on the Mount? And listen to this. I believe it is th the reason is that to live this kingdom lifestyle, you cannot do it on your own. You need God. You need to be walking closely with God, intimately with God, if you're going to live this kingdom lifestyle. Because if you don't, you're going to try to do it in your own strength, your own wisdom, and it's going to lead to self-righteousness. The very thing that he rebuked the Pharisees about, that is what's going to happen to us. That's why he interjects prayer right here. And he says, just don't give up. And this is important. I want you to notice this. In verse 7, you will notice it says uh, the verb ask, seek, and knock. These are all in the present tense. So if you want to try to retranslate it, it's, you got to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Don't stop. It's something of that is persistent, continuous, and is active. To pray before God. And the reason why is because that is what's going to help us in our intimacy with the Father. That's why he gave this illustration. If the earthly parents know how to give good things, how much more? That's the language he uses. How much more? It's always the comparison. Paul used that too. How much more? Nothing will separate us from the love of God. What he's pretty much saying is, if this happens here, and they're imperfect, and I'm perfect, how much more? That's why in verse 12, Jesus closes out this section with this golden rule. It simply summarizes the whole second, uh, second part of the great commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why they call it the golden rule. This goes back to the point of being humble in your interaction with people, and your intimacy with God. The more you know God, the more you realize He loves you, that He is the Father who provides for you. So you keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, not giving up because you believe and know what He says is true and you are intimate and close with Him. That is what's going to keep you humble and not trying to manipulate situations, not trying to talk back uh, about certain things and trying to do this or that, but not wanting to control the situation for yourself. But when you know God and who he is, you are humble enough to say, God, I'm not God, you are. You're powerful and I'm not. You're wise and I'm not. It is that kind of spirit that we need. How about us this morning? Are we staying humble as we get to know more of who God is? Or are we proud and treating people poorly? Have you been judgmental lately? What do you do when you fail and the judgment comes back to you? We got to stay humble before God. Let me close with the second point. We must not only stay humble before God, because we're talking about our lives being transformed by the gospel and how that's going to make us fruitful as we stay and remain prayerful. You got to be humble. The second point that I'm going to mention here, it sounds like a Nike commercial but we must stay hungry for God. We've got to stay hungry. Let's go ahead and read verse 13. 
and 14. Listen to what it says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus gives this illustration about the gate, the gate that's narrow, and then the gate that is wide. Because you know what he's trying to help people understand? You have a choice. Everyone say choice. Every single one of us, we have a choice. Because right before you, there is a narrow gate and there is a wide gate. God will never force you to do anything. This is a choice that you need to make. Listen to the voice translation of verse 13 and 14. It's going to be up here on the highlighted yellow. I want you to read it with me. Listen to what it says. There are two paths before you. You may take one, only one path. One doorway is narrow and the other door is wide. Go through the narrow door for the wide door leads to a wide path and the wide path is broad. The wide, broad path is easy. And the wide, broad, easy path has many, many people on it. But the wide, broad, easy, crowded path leads to death. Now then, that narrow door leads to a narrow road that in turn leads to life. It is hard to find that road. Not many people manage it. The gate that is wide is in reference to those who live for themselves and for the world. Listen to me carefully. If you want to live like the world, then go ahead because the road is very wide. The gate is really big because so many people choose this path. But if you want to really find life, you really want to find purpose in your life, you want to find passion, the things that awaken you to live something for something that is greater than yourself, to invest in things that are eternal, what he says, it's a very narrow path. It is difficult to find. But you got to choose. See, the thing is that the Pharisees who were doing a lot of things for themselves they were doing all these righteous things, but that path was leading to destruction. So when he says this narrow gate, he's offering himself. I am this gate. I am this narrow road that not many will tread upon him because I demand your life, your complete allegiance. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you go on this path, you will experience life like never before. And I have seen so many of us, and myself included, that we have gone on the wide path for many, many years. And those of you have testimonies about this because you know what that feels like to be on this wide path, chasing after all the things that the world is chasing after, thinking that somehow this will bring you happiness. This will give you a sense of purpose. And it's only when you're on this road and you realize you're tired and you realize that this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's when you start thinking, maybe I should back up or try to find a bridge that will help me to go over to the other road. Because you start seeing people, even though they live in your, the world's perspective, not as successful, in the world's perspective, maybe not as having a lot of material things, 
But when you look at their life, you realize, but they're joyful. They have this inner peace. I can't even put a finger on it, but it drives me crazy. They're passionate about things that are beyond themselves. They're so generous. They're so loving. I'm wondering if some of us have experienced that or are experiencing right now just going on this wide path. And maybe God is just calling out to you even this morning to say, narrow is our way to find life. Some of you know that on my sabbatical, I made it a goal to climb 10 mountains or go on 10 hikes. And I shared this before, but I, I decided I'm going to be smart about this because I'm not like this fitness buff or anything like that. Every single time I see anyone above 60 hiking and going crazy and they're fit, I'm going to tell you just right now, I get jealous. I'm like, Lord, just help me to be half that man by the time I get to his age. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Those uncles who are like, mm, and I'm just like, my goodness, you know, I'm just, <gasps> you know, I'm dying as I'm climbing up, but you know, they're, they're just going at it. Um, and so I decided I'm going to be smart about this. I'm going to do the, the shortest and the easiest one first. So I looked up the whole, I did a lot of research. I, I have an Excel sheet. So some of you guys who want to kind of look at that. But I, I decided I'm going to go from the easiest and then slowly on my ninth and 10th, it's going to be the hardest. And my last one was going to be the highest peak in all of Hong Kong. So I decided to gradually build up because I know myself. My personality is go on the high one and the other one, just whatever. But I would die and then never go on the other one. So anyway... I started off really slow, and then there was one that was a little bit like a seven or eight. It was, it was a little bit hard. And the thing that caught my attention about this hike was that it said that it has a beautiful waterfall. Not this Hong Kong. Like, where are you going to see waterfall? This ain't, this ain't Fiji. You know, this isn't like uh, Maui, Hawaii. You know, so I'm just like, a waterfall? So here I am looking at the picture. I'm like, whoa, waterfall. So I said, I'm going to go on this mountain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hike this thing up. So here I am, hiking by myself. As I'm going up, I'm realizing, where is the waterfall? That's, that, that's the question that kept on running through my mind. Where is this waterfall? And I'm like, where is the waterfall? You know, and there, there was a moment. There was a moment when I decided, maybe I should stop. Because this is too hard. And I couldn't find it. And so I was going to ask some people, and, but I'm like, no, you know, my self-sufficiency. So I'm like, I'm going to find this, you know, Holy Spirit, lead me, you know, <laughs> crazy stuff like that. But I'm like, I'm going to find this. And I had to trek through some, traverse through some crazy, like, terrain. I had to climb over some of these rocks. And all of a sudden, as I climbed up, Right below me, guess what? Was a waterfall. Now, I forgot the name of that hill. I think it's up here, right? It, was that it? Oh, that's the name of it? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Let me just say, this is just part of it. You could have gotten lost. Or, I don't know, people might have been uh, raising drugs there or something. I mean, it, was, uh, it was just, you know. Anyway, so... Uh, here's the, the picture of the waterfall. I think we have it here, right? Uh, some of you go, it went there. So you're like, that wasn't that hard. Hey, it was hard for me, all right? It was hard for me. <laughs> and when I saw this, I'm like, I've got to take a picture of this. It's just too beautiful. 
And there were people who actually were making coffee, and they were just kind of chilling there. Because they brought all these, like, canisters of, like, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, man, these guys are hardcore guys, you know. But it was just, I was sitting there just peacefully, and I realized, wow, through all the trekking, if I stopped, I would have missed this. And this is not something you just find right away when you're one. you got to traverse, like I said, through this mountain. And then you come to something like this. Why am I sharing this? Because I believe this is kind of like the Christian life. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But only when you're committed and you're saying, I'm going to climb this mountain, I'm going to find this waterfall. It's only then when you do find it, there's a great sense of peace, accomplishment. I don't know what you want to call it. This adulation where you're just like, wow, I was able to actually do this. Isn't that what the Christian life is about? It's hard. It's difficult. And some of us want to quit, give up. But if you would just persevere by God's grace, as he's holding on to you, as you're holding on to him, that he will lead you by still waters. And you will see things that you have never seen before. From this metaphor of the two gates, listen to me carefully, Jesus now gives three illustrations to reinforce the importance of choosing the narrow gate. The narrow gate is the Jesus way. The wide gate is the Pharisaic way. Religion is all about you. You take pride in yourself. Hypocrisy, that's the wide gate. The narrow gate is Jesus, the kingdom lifestyle. So here are three things to check to see if you are staying hungry for God. And I put it in the form of a question. The first question is this. Are you bearing good fruits or bad fruits? Are you bearing good fruits or bad fruits? Let's go ahead and read verse 15 through 20. This is what the Word of God says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The false prophets were those who were leading people astray from God's truth. So it, it was definitely the Pharisees and some of these other religious teachers. But Jesus was reminding them that a healthy tree will always bear good fruit, while a diseased tree will bear bad fruit. Listen to what it says in the New Living Translation of verse 20. It says this, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their what? Come on. Actions. So look at your actions. Is serving God a drag? Is it something that's like, oh, I think you're choosing the wide path. I'm not saying that it's not hard. But as you're serving, do you find joy because you realize, I get to do this. Not that I need to do it, I get to do this. It's a privilege and an honor. 
Think about some other areas of your life. Oh, man, I have to read the Bible again. Oh, I have to send out my soul. Is it you have to or you want to that you actually get to do it? That there were many people who didn't have the word. And even to this day, thousands of different people groups who do not have the word of God in their language. We just lose the sense of privilege. We lose sense of perspective. And so are you bearing good fruits or are you bearing bad fruits? That's a good question for us to think about. Just look at your actions. Ask a friend. Ask a family member. Are you still, do you still have a temper? Do you still get angry? Are you still turning to some of these things that put you in bondage? It just shows you're not healthy because your actions are bad fruits. So get well. Start hungering for God. God, I want to know you more. I want to love you more. Here's the second question. The second question is this. Are you doing things for Christ or for yourself? Are you doing things for Christ or yourself? Look at verse 21 through 23. So once again, this is how you know if you're staying hungry for God because you've got to answer these questions. In verse 21 through 23, it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Because what Jesus is saying is you could do a lot of religious stuff. They were casting out demons. They were doing all these things that people who love God were doing. But he says, I never knew you. It is too easy to do godly things, but don't do it for God. Can I get a good amen to that? But instead, we do it for ourselves. This is what Jesus is trying to address with the Pharisees in this sermon. Whether it is prayer, fasting, giving, who are you doing it for? Can I just, you know, I, there's a part of me that I understand human nature. I was a psych major, also a sociology major. So as I constantly say, I like to analyze people individually as well as a group. And I understand there's a human element to feel appreciated, to feel as if like what you did was very important. That's a human need. And that's something that we will continue to do as we praise God for you and for the things that you're doing. But somewhere in that, it gets really twisted. And that's why when we start sacrificing it and giving, and we don't get anything back in return, somewhere in that thought process, we get bitter and angry, frustrated. I even see people leave. And sometimes I pull back and I say, what is it that they want? That's my first thought. Once again, I'm a psych major, so I'm asking that question. What is it that they want? Do they even know what they want? And number two, if they were very heavily involved in our ministry, I'm like, do they do it for themselves or do they do, do, they do it for God? Because if you did it for yourself and you don't see any fruits, you don't see any recognition, then it could be very frustrating. But if you did it for God, whether you see the fruits or not, whether you get recognized or not, why does that matter? That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. 
that some of us, we're not hungry for God. We're hungry for ourselves. We're hungry. There's this pride that's this monster inside of us that is hungry, that wants recognition, that wants the power, that wants certain things. And Jesus says, you're picking the wide gate. You're not picking the way of the kingdom. I'm grateful that you recognize us as pastors. But even if we didn't have to do this, October being pastors appreciate I will still give my life to this. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm appreciative. I'm thankful. But this is not why I do it. Can you imagine? October, October. (laughs) Man, I'm, I'm telling you, like, I feel some of you because I know there are times when I invest so much of my time, so much of my energy, so much of my prayer, so much, and I don't see any fruits. And you're just like, oh, gosh. That's when I have to check my heart. Who am I doing it for? Am I doing it for myself so I can get exalted? Am I doing it for these other people so they can then, you know, say, wow, you're so good. Who are you doing it for? That's why sometimes when you do it for Christ, listen to me, you might be forgotten, you might not even be recognized, you might not even be thanked, but that's why Jesus says when you give, when you fast, when you pray, do it in secret. Because oftentimes when we do it with the wrong motive, it's about exalting ourselves rather than Jesus Christ. When you receive it, be humble and thankful. When you don't, be humble and thankful that you get to see, serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, even though no one sees. Are you doing things for Christ or for yourself? Religious works is not a substitute for obedience to God. I, I, I hope this passage reminds you why it's important you do it for Jesus. Paul talks about it to the people of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show, come on, let's read it together, if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but someone barely escaping through the walls of flames. Man, I pray. I mean, I'm praying. I'm I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff when I stand before Jesus and I present. It's going to all be burnt up. And I'm like... I pray that there will be more of things that remain because I did it for Jesus Christ and not for myself. The last question is, are you building your foundation on Christ or on something else? Are you building your foundation on Christ or on something else? Let me close with these three, four verses. Listen to what it says. Verse 24 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And anyone who, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. See, if you build your foundation on Christ, it is going to be like that house on this rock. The storms will come. Trials will come in your life. Difficult things will come. Things that are out of your control will come. But if it's built on Christ, you will stand. But if you build it on other people's approval to get recognized so that you can feed your pride because you're power hungry, you're depraved of recognition, whatever other reason that you have that you do things, you are building your house on the sand and when the trials come, as you go from one life stage to another, from one season to another, you will fall. This is how I know that whatever you went through in the previous season and the previous thing in your life, if it was really based on Christ or yourself, or maybe even trying to look good in front of people. This imagery of the wind, the waves crashing in, this is... This is an imagery of life. Now, many of you are still young, but I'm going to tell you right now, life is going to get harder. Some of you are like, take me now, Jesus. Take me now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry to say, but life is going to get harder. Not only because there's sin in this world, we cannot avoid that. But as you get older, there's going to be more challenges and more decisions that affect other people. Life is going to get harder. As you get older, people will pass away that are close to you. Or animals will pass away. It's going to get harder emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Man, I wish I had this fire and the excitement when I was in college. You didn't, want me to, you didn't want to meet me in college. If you're like, well, right now, like, ah, this old man, you know, what, what is he doing? You should have seen me in college. I was just fire. Just call me. It was just fire. Just like, stay up all night. We're doing all this prayer and fasting for days. I mean, it was crazy. Morning prayer every single day at 630. I don't want to go, but I had the keys. I was the only one with the keys. So if I don't go, no one else goes. And then I'll get in trouble by the pastor. So there are times I'm like, time to open the door, you know. I open the door and I'll, I'll do the praise. And then after the praise, people are supposed to pray. And then I'll get into the prayer position. Not the healthy one. The prayer position where you're on your knees and your head is all the way down to the ground. And next thing you know, oh, I got to go. I wish I was more excited about the things of God. But sometimes you lose a little bit of that as you get older because there's more things going on in your life. It's easy to crowd God out. It's easy to do things for yourself. It's easy to seek comfort. Man, I remember when I was in college, I didn't even care if I slept on ground, on the floor. But I'm like, how many stars is that hotel? <laughs> what, what restaurant is that? Who recommended that? 
We get spoiled. We, we love comfort as you get older. How do you still follow Christ and be on this foundation that no matter what happens to you, you can still love Him and worship Him? Are you staying hungry for God? I'm wondering what your foundation is built on today. Are you showing some good fruits by magnifying God? Huh, magnify, yes, and glorifying God. Got to stay hungry for God. Here's the one thing once again. Our transformed lives, and you could put that even in the present, our lives that is transforming, we're still in this process. Our transformed life can be fruitful as we learn how to be prayerful. We're dependent on God. We look to Him. Let me give us some quick next steps as we close here. First of all, build your life on Christ. Don't build it on people, your reputation, or anything else. Build it on Christ. Pastor, how do I do that? Well, here's one simple thing you can do. Always ask yourself, am I doing this for Jesus or doing this for somebody else? Here's another thing you could quickly do. Get to those things that will not change until the day you die. God's word and in prayer. Those things will never change. Deepen your prayer life. Deepen your knowledge of the word of God. That's how you build your foundation on Jesus. The second thing is believe in God's transformative power. The tendency to be pulled into the wide gate is so strong. So God, you have to do it in your power. Transform me. Help me to not keep on going towards this religious way, but help me to go through this deep relationship with you. You got to believe in it. You got to believe he can change you. You got to believe that he could turn those things around. Not by your power, by his power. So that's why you got to be prayerful. And the third and last thing is brag about God. And I think that's one of the best ways to direct your attention away from yourself and to put it back on God. As you know, this whole year is, the theme is shine. And this coming month, which is next Sunday, I think it's the first or the second of November, but next week we're going to start and launch our missions month. Do you guys remember what the theme was? Upside down. Perfect with everything we've been covering. We're going to, Jesus turned the world upside down. He turned my life upside down. And we want to see that in our generation. And so what we're going to be doing is each of the weeks, we're going to focus in on different aspects. Our life being turned upside down, our community, our city, and even just the nations. So as we break it up and talk about some of these things, one of the things that we want to see happen throughout this coming year is we want to shine God's light and we want to hear about it. And so we want you to be bragging. Turn to somebody next to you and say, brag about God. Amen? Go ahead and tell it. We want to try to encourage you to brag about God and do it publicly. And this is how we're going to do it. You know, a lot of times we like to make up words. It's not in the dictionary. It's not in the American or the Cambridge or the Oxford dictionary. We made it up. And so we called it uh, shinamonies. Is that right? What is it? Shimonies. So what we're asking you to do is to shine God's light 
as you start seeing God doing some things in your life as well as in the context you're in, whether it's a school, whether it's at workplace, your families. Already we've been hearing some great testimonies of people coming together to pray for something and God answered powerfully. Like those are the shine, shine monies. You can tell I didn't make up that word. But anyway, shine monies. There we go. And we're going to ask you just throughout this coming month and even just even throughout the, the year to share some of these testimonies online so that we can read them. So what we're going to do, I, I think we're going to do have a QR code. We have a QR code that will lead you directly to that web page. And throughout this coming month and through the weeks after, we want you to share more of these testimonies of what God is doing. And whenever you get discouraged and you really forget about what God is doing in your life and in our church, turn to it and read it and you realize, wow, God is powerful. God is good. And we want this to be an opportunity to brag about God. In fact, I want to challenge some of you. If you have friends, colleagues, classmates who might really doubt if God is real, give them this webpage and let them look at it and read some of these stories within our church, what God is doing. May that be an encouragement to them. To say, wow, if God can do that in that person's life or in this person's life, maybe he could do it in my life. So let's use this as a tool to brag about God. Not only to one another, but even those people who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. At this time, what we're going to do is this. As you can tell, we have communion. And we're going to close out with communion. But before we do, uh, one of the new ministries that we've kind of started up is the creative uh, worship team. And so I, they did a, uh, prepared a special praise for us. And I, what I want us to do is to just listen to the, to the words of these songs. Because as we close out this whole series of shine, it really is about God shining through us and God being glorified and magnified through us. There's going to be some video up there so you can just kind of see some pictures of Hong Kong and different things that are going on in the needs of our city. And I pray that it will be a reminder that as our lives are being transformed, that we will be fruitful as we learn how to be prayerful in all that we do. So let's uh, come, on, uh, come on up, guys.
every human heart its native cry. Oh, then in one enwrapped should hymn of praise, we'd sing Christ be magnified. stand together. I pray that that will be the desire of our hearts, that Christ will be magnified in everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say. That's why we live here on this earth, 
And we're just kind of like mirrors. As God shines on us, we redirect that light to these dark places in this world and even give Him all the glory for what He's doing. What I'm excited about is that we have a bunch of people in our church with so much potential that God can use for His glory if we would just choose the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate that leads to destruction. There are many people going there. But the narrow gate, few will find. But on the other side, Jesus is inviting us. It's a life that will, it's a life that the world cannot offer. That's all I can say to you. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a joyous life. And I think all of us in this room can testify that we have been in situations where we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into something. Even though it's hard, you look back and you're so thankful, especially when you're able to see God do some amazing things. That's the same way. Following Christ is not easy. But as you trust in Him and walk with Him, as He empowers you with His transformative power, you will begin to see God. You'll see the fruits that will come forth. That's what communion is all about. And I know that there's some of us here who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity. You can do that today. Maybe you came and you're holding on to so many things and you're realizing what I heard today was a good reminder that my life is going to be completely empty unless I choose that narrow gate. What you need to do is confess your sins and just acknowledge that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe that He died on the cross. Live the perfect life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, but He lived it for us. And then He died on the cross. That should have been our death, but He died for us. That when you trust in Him, that you will have eternal life. To give your allegiance fully to Him. I'd love for you to do that. And for some of us who grew up in the church, you were just church, you were just religious, you were just like the Pharisaic people. But maybe God is inviting you to come to this narrow gate. You just have to say the simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead, and I believe you as my Lord and Savior. For the rest of us who are here who are believers, I want to challenge us. The reason why we have communion is a good reminder of why we are here on this earth and where we're going to be when we die. This is just a foretaste of the great banquet that we're going to be having, the feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, to remind us that there's something more to the life than just coming and going, doing this or that. But it's a fellowship and an intimacy with God that no one else can offer. And so when we take of the communion, we are remembering His death and His resurrection, that one day we're going to have this feast with Jesus Christ face to face. So as we prepare the Lord's communion, I want to once again reiterate, this is an opportunity for us to pray and prepare our hearts. To those of you who have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. If you came with a friend, you could just turn to them and say, what do I need to do? Or you can just say that prayer that I lifted up for you really briefly. And then we're going to go ahead and pass out the communion. 
and uh, the, there'll be some instructions here of how we're going to do this. So I, I think we're going to have them come on up. So we're going to direct you uh, so that we won't be touching the communion and spreading whatever. So we're going to have you come up row by row so the greeters will kind of lead you and uh, take a communion. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your seats and hold on to that. And I want you to meditate and think about the cross. Think about Jesus. And say, God, shine your light on these areas of my life. And then as you're praying that, just thank him for what he has done, his sacrifice that he has made, the blood that was shed, the body that was beaten for us. And then as you do that, then begin to pray and ask God to help you to live this life for his glory. And then we'll all take it together at the end as everyone has received it. And then we'll pray and close out here. Uh, for those of you who, once again, you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to ask you to not take the communion. You don't have to be ashamed of it or feel embarrassed in any way. You're just still on this journey to understand more about who this Jesus is. The Bible tells us that if you're not a believer and you take this communion, you're doing it in an unholy manner and you're bringing curses upon yourself. And we don't want that for you. So we're asking you just to refrain. Um, and you can just kind of move along with everybody, but you don't have to take the communion. So we're just going to do that right now. Can I uh, just pray for us? And then that will lead us into some time of reflection. And then we'll administer the communion. Lord, thank you once again for the reminder today that our lives being transformed by your grace, that you will make us fruitful. It's your work in us and your empowerment so that when we serve you, love you, love people around us, that we will see great things that happen. And help us to do it as we learn how to be prayerful, dependent on you. So Lord, keep us humble and keep us hungry for more of you. Bless this time of communion as we remember the cross. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.